This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. That is the question that our world is asking right now. And there's an interesting trend or movement in North America where 25% of Americans are saying, I don't. 35% of millennials are saying, I don't think we do need God. And 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 it's understandable. Here's why. Christianity specifically, and and faith in general, and religion, and religious institutions, they have some unsettling conclusions to them. And so it makes sense that if you were raised with a childhood faith, and now as an adult, you're asking adult questions about God, and Jesus, and faith, and you're still getting childish answers, or you're stuck in answers from your childhood, it would make sense that you would be migrating away from faith in God. But the truth is, people feel stuck right now. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've got one foot out the door. Maybe you've got both feet out the door. Maybe you're watching online or listening because you'd never set foot in a church, but a friend sent this to you. And you're asking the question, do I really need God? Because the version of Christianity that I grew up with isn't holding water as an adult. But you're walking away from that. And what we talked about on week one, when you walk away from theism, from a belief in a God, you're walking towards atheism, no God, which has some equally unsettling conclusions to it. And so people feel stuck right now. They're not identifying clearly or fully as atheists, but we're not identifying as Christians either. People are identifying as nuns. It's this new group that's come out. Not, not nuns, but N-O-N-E, non-affiliated people. Because they're saying, you know what? I, I can't believe in a, in a creator, but I also have a hard time believing in an uncreated universe. You know, I have some questions about ultimate reality and morality, and yet I'm not comfortable saying that, that right or just is just what I want it to be, that power plus position plus choice makes right. And whoever's in power gets to determine what's right and what's wrong. And so we're stuck in limbo. But more than ever, at least uh, as I look back over the last hundred years, people are deconverting from Christianity without pausing to ask the question, what am I moving towards? And so this whole series is designed for you. If you've got one foot out the door or both feet out the door, It's designed for you if you would say, I am fully in, I'm a Jesus follower, and I've got a friend or a coworker or a child who's asking me some really, really big questions, and I don't have really, really great answers. Because I'm telling you, we live in a community right now. And who needs God is the underlying question for each successive generation. And as I hear deconversion stories, people who came to church and have left the church, they usually follow a couple common themes. It is a somebody told me so God, which we talked about last week. Pastor Ron did a great job talking about gods in the Bible that are really no God at all. How we take a caricature or a, a part of or a small piece of a narrative about God and we blow that up to make that God, but there really is no truth in that God. Like boyfriend God. If you missed last week, you got to go back and listen to boyfriend God. There is no boyfriend God. 
doesn't matter what those books you read in the 90s said about Jesus being your boyfriend. There is no boyfriend God. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, that sent me. Never mind. That made me not get a lot of dates in high school. There's a couple of books back there. You know what I'm talking about. Or uh, how about this? Uh, the God who says, all good things will happen to you as long as you follow me. That God's not in there. And so when people walk away from God, usually they're walking away from a God that I would say is no God at all, that as isn't actually in the Bible. And if you walked away from boyfriend God or from nothing bad ever happens to you if you follow God, God, good, because you walked away from a God who did not exist. But then the other uh, common thread in deconversion stories is a Bible tells me so, Jesus. And Bible tells me so, Jesus kind of goes along this line. When you were a kid, do you remember your parents used to say, hey, go do this. You'd say, why? Why do I have to do that? And what would they say? Because I told you so. Yeah, because I told you so. Uh, Bible tells me so Jesus is pretty similar, except instead of because I told you so, it's because the Bible told you so. And you say, well, why? Why did the Bible tell me that? They say, well, I I don't know. But Jesus loves me. This I know. (laughs) Because the Bible tells me so. It's a song. It's a song. And it rhymes, which is lovely, but rhyming doesn't actually make it true. And I would say that a lot of our trouble started here. And this is what I mean. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have some fun with us today but you can't tune out. Like, legitimately, if you tune out for like three minutes at one of a number of points this morning, you will walk away pretty convinced that I'm a heretic who doesn't believe in the Bible. (laughs) I'm already waiting. I'm just preparing for the email. So if you want to email me, email me, justin at newlifepetaluma.org. I want to hear from you all of your complaints. Because the problem with the Bible tells me so, Jesus, is that you grew up. And as a kid, listen, it's appropriate to say, believe in this stuff because the Bible says it. I had conversations with my kids. They're getting older now. And uh, in elementary school, you start talking about changing in your body and this and that. So we're having these conversations. And I'm talking to my kids about changes in their body in an age-appropriate way. Yes, you'll start to wear deodorant because, you know— start to stink, and that's okay. But if I talked to an adult the way I'm talking to my nine-year-old about changes in your body, you'd say, what's wrong with you? This, what? Because as adults, we have real questions. And a lot of us get really stuck here. And I would say that this is a holy unsatisfactory answer to the question about God. In fact, I would guess that some of you in this room walked away from faith because of something in the Bible, a fish story, a seven-day creation, a flood that went around the whole world. And you said, really? And someone said, just, you got to have faith. You got to have faith. You got to just trust. Have faith in faith itself. Did you know that as Jesus followers, we don't have faith in faith itself. We have faith in someone and in something that happens, and it's way better than the Bible tells me so. Now, 
Just to to put those of you at ease who are pretty sure I'm going to walk away from the Bible in this message, I want to give us a humble primer on the Bible. What is the Bible? This thing that, as Jesus followers, we say kind of, it matters. It matters. Well, the Bible, uh, and I want to say humble humble primer, I'm not going to give a full message on why you can trust the Bible. If you want a full message on why you can trust the Bible, read this book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. It's an excellent book to talk about why you can trust the Bible. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Bible, and then I'm going to tell you why the Bible is not and should not be the foundation of your faith. Because the foundation of your faith is something way, way better than the Bible. Ah, if you tuned out, you freaked out. (laughs) A humble primer on the Bible. So here's what you need to know. The Bible is a collection of 66 letters. If you don't know the 66 letters of the Bible, go to our zone ministry. They've got a great CD, and one of the songs is 66 books in the Bible. That's how you can memorize the 66 letters. 66 letters in the Bible, penned by 40 different authors over the course of 1,500 years, written in three different languages. The Bible is an incredible book. By the way, I'm going to put a lot of information on this screen. I would suggest instead of maybe taking notes today, you just take pictures. Pictures might be more helpful than notes because it's going to get really fast with a lot of info. Just no flashes, please. Otherwise, I'll do this. (laughs) Nobody needs to see that. Uh, How about this? The Bible, the Bible was written, give it to me, in a number of different genres including history and poetry, prophecy, apocalyptic, and biography. And there's a lot of, a lot of needless heartache and a lot of needless walking away from faith in Jesus because we have not rightly understood that the Bible is actually a collection of letters written in different genres. And if we don't rightly understand the type of genre the Bible was written in in that specific letter, we get all sorts of weird and crazy ideas which make us just walk away from it. For example, uh, how many of you read this freshman year of English? But soft, what light through yonder window breaks? It is the east and Juliet is the sun. Arise, fair sun, and kill the envious moon. Oh man, I love that. I tried to get the kissing scene, but I didn't get it. It's tragic. This is a genre called poetry. Now, no one in freshman English said, I will never read this book. It's not accurate. He's calling a woman the sun. We all know in our scientific minds that people are not the sun and that he is not the moon. You would never say that. Why? Because we know that this are, there are literary devices within the genre of poetry that make sense. If we don't understand that there are biographies in the Bible that are meant to be read as a biography, that there's poetry in the Bible that's meant to be read as poetry, that there's this thing called apocalyptic, which has huge symbols that are meant to be understood as symbolic, then a lot of needless heartache can happen. And if you try to defend the Bible without understanding the genres of the Bible, man, it's tough. It's tough. Now, is the Bible accurate? Yes, when rightly understood, the Bible is completely trustworthy and accurate. When rightly understood. Here's another uh, information about the Bible. It's accuracy. And I want to compare the Bible to Homer's Iliad, one of the greatest ancient books ever written. Homer's Iliad, 400 years went by between the writing of the Iliad and the discovery of the first copies. 
And you might be thinking to yourself, man, 400 years, there's a lot of time in 400 years for people to change the original story. And you're right. Except that we're so fortunate that so many years later, we have 600 copies that have survived of the Iliad. In the ancient world, that is unheard of. And here's why this is so important. Because people who study this ancient work can, can study copy next to copy next to copy for accuracy. Super helpful. Did you know that the Bible that you can read on your tablet or on your phone or you hold in your hands today, did you know that 50 years after the Bible was written, 50 years, not 400, 50 years after the Bible was written, we have the first copies. This is a big deal because it takes about 100 years for a myth to form. But 50 years after the writings of the New Testament, we have our original copies found, which means that people were still alive who saw it happen. Just for some context, 400 years after the writing of the New Testament, we had 24,600 copies that survived. That's 24,000 more than Homer's Iliad, and no one is sitting around saying, I don't know if we can trust the Iliad. It seems like it was made up or fabricated. No, because we have 24,600 copies. We have more information on the original manuscripts, and they're more accurate than any other ancient work of art. Now, are there, are there little discrepancies? Yes, there are. But they have to do with, like, a letter or a number. They don't have to do with the character of God. And if you have a, uh, a study Bible, there's always a footnote in the bottom that says, earliest manuscripts say this, later manuscripts say that. It's all right there for you. You know why? Because the writers of the Bible had nothing to hide. Now, that being said, can you trust the Bible? I believe you can. When rightly understood, I believe it's trustworthy. But if you came to me and said, Kevin, I don't believe in God. I want to argue the Bible with you. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. If you said, Kevin, I don't believe in that whole six-day creation thing. We need to get into it. Uh, Old earth, new earth. I wouldn't do it. In fact... And this is coming from your pastor. I would acquiesce and say, you know what? You could be right. Because uh, 50 years ago, arguing the Bible changed people's opinions about God. But today, it doesn't. It just builds camps. Can you trust the Bible? Absolutely. But the Bible does not point to the Bible. The Bible points to something way better. So let me ask you this question just to see if I can blow our minds a little bit. What if tomorrow everything about the Old Testament letters was disproved? Everything. What if sites were wrong? What if there was no flood? What if certain kings never existed? What if everything was disproved? Would your trust in God crumble? If the answer is yes, then you've built your foundation on the wrong thing. Because if the Bible is the foundation of your faith, then as the Bible goes, so goes your faith. If the Bible, the 66 letters in the Old Testament and the New Testament are the foundation of your faith, then it's all or nothing. But... Christianity, 
does not exist because of the Bible any more than you exist because of your birth certificate. Your birth certificate points to an event that happened, your birth. But if your birth certificate, you found out one day that your birth certificate was wrong, would that mean that you weren't alive? No. Your birth certificate is not the foundation of your life. You are the foundation of your life. Your birth certificate points to an event that happened in time, which was your life. The Bible points to an event. In the letters of the Old Testament, into the letters of the New Testament, and that single event is the thing that your faith in God should rise and fall upon. But to understand that, we have to do a little history lesson. And I did my undergrad in history. I love today. If you think, man, we don't get into the history enough, this is for you. If you're not a history person, I apologize. I've got the mic. (laughs) And it's Memorial Day. You had your chance to go on vacation. You're here. (laughs) All right. So let's jump into some history, shall we? A little timeline for you. Let's go to to zero AD. Did you know uh, that—this is fun. Did you know that at the time Jesus walked, we used something called the Julian calendar— and that in, in the 6th century, uh, we started adding A.D. and B.C. to the original calendar. This is going to matter in just a second. And then in the 16th century, we switched to the Gregorian calendar. Now, in the switch between the Julian calendar, A.D., B.C., and the Gregorian calendar, there was a little dating that had to move, which is really interesting, fun fact. Did you know that Jesus was born two years before Jesus was born? Did you know that? He was born at about 2 or 3 BC. So he was born over here. I know. Mind-blowing. But I just want you to know that. It doesn't mean he wasn't born. It just means that his calendars switched and dating changed. Jesus was actually born just over here, about 2 or 3 BC. But we're going to start at 30 AD, where Jesus was crucified, he rose, and the church began. About 30 AD. The Romans crucified Jesus. A few days later, some women came to the tomb. It was empty. They saw him. Later, he began to appear. And within a few months, people took to the streets. And here's what they said. They said, you crucified him. God raised him. We saw it. Say you're sorry. That was the message. You crucified him. God raised him. We saw it. Now say you're sorry. And here's the amazing thing. Thousands of people said they were sorry and turned to Jesus. Why? Because in Jerusalem, where the population was roughly 30 to 40,000 people, 500 people saw Jesus alive. Not one or two, not 10 or 12, not a mass hallucination. But we have 60,000 people that live in Petaluma. Drop that down to 30,000 Imagine if 500 people in Petaluma, we had a, well, let's not imagine this, but let's imagine someone died. We all knew about it. We all saw it. And then 500 of us saw that person alive and took to the streets. That would cause a stir, wouldn't it? You begin to say, oh my goodness, what is happening? Well, this is exactly what happens. And they pointed back to the letters of the Old Testament simply to point to the fact that the story told that Jesus would come. He would live. He'd be crucified. God would raise him from the dead. 
we saw him. Now say you're sorry. And that's exactly what happened. And the stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the stories, Acts, and Romans, and all the way through, they tell of that event. The next big date on our timeline is 70 A.D., when the temple is destroyed in Jerusalem. But to understand this, we have to go back four years to 66 AD, when a Roman named Vespasian took a Roman legion, and there was a Jewish revolt, and he decided, we're going to squash this revolt once and for all. So he took this Roman legion, and he gathered Jewish people. As we've seen over and over again throughout history, it is a tragic story. And they rounded up all the Jews into Jerusalem inside the city walls. And then they dug a big pit around Jerusalem. And then they built a big wall around that pit. And over the course of the next four years, they crucified hundreds and then thousands of Jewish people on this wall outside of Jerusalem. It was a bloody, tragic time in Jewish history. Um, And then on August the 6th, AD 70, the Romans breached the wall. They got into Jerusalem. They expelled Thousands, if not tens of thousands of Jewish people, never to come back to Jerusalem again. And here's why this is such an important date for you to trust the Bible. Because of the New Testament manuscripts. Because none of the New Testament manuscripts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, all the way through, none of them talk about this event. Why does that matter? Because this is a horrible event in Jewish history. If you're a Jewish person living in that time, writing about that time, which these authors were, and your most holy site has been sacked, thousands of your people have been crucified, and then tens of thousands have been expelled, you would be writing about this event. And yet none of the New Testament talks about this event. Why? Because historians date back the letters of the New Testament to mostly being before 70 A.D., Here's why that matters to you. Because a myth cannot form that quickly. See, the people were still alive who saw Jesus alive. You can't write a story. You can't lie about it because they could say, but you saw him. But you saw him. You saw him. We're here. He was here. The authors of the biographies of Jesus' life, which is, by the way, where I would always point you if you're questioning whether or not God exists, I point you to the biographies of Jesus' life. Because like we're going to learn next week, Jesus shows us God. But I love the, the authors of the New Testament. They write as if they're writing history. Look what Luke says in uh, Luke chapter 3. He's basically saying, listen, I want to put myself so firmly in history that no one could question what's going on. To start off his biography, he says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when? Oh, the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, who? Pontius Pilate, where? Judea. Herod was the tetrarch of Galilee, this little region, and his brother Philip was the tetrarch of Itria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was the tetrarch of Abilene. During the reign of Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests. You know what Luke is saying? Fact check me. You don't believe this happened? Fact check me. I'm giving you exactly when it happened, exactly where it happened. Go back in your history books and look at it. Jesus came at this time for this reason. Very important. 
Check it out. Because the point of your birth certificate is to tell the story of an event that happens. And the point of the Bible is to tell the story of an event that happened. We have a few hundred years, and let's fast forward in our timeline to 312 AD. Constantine goes uh, to this river called the Tiber River. There are three different rulers in the Roman Empire at this time, and they're all fighting for control. And Constantine at the Tiber River wins and becomes the undisputed emperor of Rome. And Constantine goes home. And in this time, Christianity was outlawed. You could not be a Christian. This was the time when people were being fed to the lions, Roman candles, which were basically people being crucified and burned in Rome. This was a bad time. But in this time, Constantine goes home and he makes Christianity the religion of Rome. Now, historians will tell you that he did not do it because he had a personal conversion experience with Jesus. He did it to unify the empire. Think about that for a second. Before we had the combination of our 66 books in the Bible, before any of that happened, Constantine, Constantine's own mother, by the way, became a Christian when Christianity was outlawed. How do you go against mama? You don't. In the times before we had the combination that we know as the Bible, these 66 letters, before they came into be, because they don't come into be as a combined book until here, Christianity had gone from 0.02% of the Roman world to 10% of the Roman world. Christianity, I would say, made its greatest strides during the 282 years before the Bible. Now I had some of my team get mad at me. I don't mean the individual letters. I mean the combination of the 66 letters before the Bible in the form we have it even existed. It wasn't until about AD 350 that we get our first uh, look at the combination of the Bible in these two different codexes, Codex Sinaiticus and Codex Vaticanus, which doesn't really matter except that it sounds smart. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just be honest. It wasn't until about 350 that we have the first Greek combination of these 66 letters, and then what we've known today as the Bible, Tabiblia, came into being about 388 A.D. So that means that before the Old and the New Testament were combined and titled the Bible, Christianity had already replaced the pantheon of Roman, barbarian, and most Egyptian gods. And it had become the state religion of the entire Roman Empire. That's incredible. Before. And do you know why it became the state religion? Do you know why it took the world by storm? Because for the first 300 years of Christianity, the debate did not center on a flood or a six-day creation. For the first 300 years, it centered on an event, not a book. Sit with that for a second. Because in the 21st century, the debate has come to center around a book. Do I believe in the Bible? Absolutely. Yes, I do. B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I do. I do. But if you came to me and you said, Kevin, I'm having a hard time trusting that there really is a God because of, and you listed off something that's a perceived inaccuracy, 
I would not argue it with you. I would point you to an event and say, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Let's, we'll get there. We'll get there. But this whole thing rises and falls on whether or not they killed him, God raised him, 500 people saw him. Now say you're sorry. <laughs> it's centered on the resurrection of Jesus. I could imagine if one of us could go into the past and talk to Peter. Peter is one of Jesus' closest friends and followers. Could you imagine if we went to Peter and we said, Peter, did you know that there might be some discrepancies in a few of the numbers or letters in these letters that make up the Old Testament of the Bible? Peter, did you know that some people are saying there wasn't actually a global flood? Here's what Peter would say. He would say, I love the, and he will call them the Jewish scriptures, not the Old Testament, because if you're a Jewish person, and Peter was, they were the scriptures that pointed to something that was coming. He said, I love the Jewish scriptures, and I don't know about all that, but here's what I know. I walked around with this guy, Jesus. Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. Jesus claimed to be sent from God the Father to the earth to show us what it looks like to walk in relationship. And then he predicted his death, which isn't hard to do. Anyone can predict their death and his resurrection. And he pulled it off. So you know what? I'm going to go with that guy. Because anyone who can predict their death and resurrection and pull it off, I'm just going to go ahead and do what he says. He wouldn't argue with you on little pieces. Is the Bible reliable? Yes, when rightly understood in context and genre, it is absolutely reliable. Would Peter argue it with you? Probably not. He would say, here's what I know. He died. Here's what John would say. John, who wrote one of the biographies. John, who was one of the last guys around from that time. John would say, listen, I saw him crucified. I sat there with his mama while she wept. He looked down from the cross and said, take care of my mom. And I promised that I would. And then I went about my business. And a few days later, I was eating fish with him. We were having lox and bagels. What? He would say, Jesus loves me. This I know. Because I saw him rise again. Here's what I would tell you. You can believe in Jesus. Jesus loves you. This I know because he gave his life and he rose again, not to tell you so, to show you so. Don't believe me? You can read about it. Mark saw it. Matthew saw it. Luke went around. Luke spent his his whole life, he was a doctor, he switched professions. Man, how much do you have to believe that something happened to switch from a doctor to a different profession? To interview people who saw it. Paul saw it. James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, what would it take for you to believe that your brother was the Son of God? Think about that. You say, he'd have to rise from the dead. And I'd still have questions. (laughs) James, who did not believe in Jesus as the Son of God when Jesus walked the earth, saw him alive and came to believe that his brother was his Savior. Not because of a letter, but 
because of an event. Can you trust in God? Yes. Is the foundation of your faith the Bible? If it is, I'm not going to fight you on that. But I'm telling you, there's a better foundation, a firmer foundation, a stronger foundation for your faith. It is the resurrection of Jesus. The whole endeavor, this whole big thing, rises and falls on that event. Next week, if Jesus really did rise again to show us who God is, then we're going to start reconstructing our trust in God based on the God that Jesus knew. And I want you to come back next week because I'm going to give us three different heartbeats of God, characteristics of God that Jesus reveals to us and hopefully launch you on a journey of exploration to re-meet God for the first time. Let me pray for us and then we'll go. Jesus, thank you that our foundation is so firm that our foundation of our lives stands on your resurrection. That you were witnessed by over 500 people alive in the very place where you were witnessed being crucified and that we can trust in you because anyone who can predict their death and resurrection and pull it off, God, we're just simple people. We say we're going to go with him. So as we continue to explore what it looks like to reimagine and re-understand faith in God. Would you reveal God to us? Would you help us, Lord, to take away the things that make faith in you unnecessarily difficult so that like the early gatherings, we might be able to say, they killed him, God raised him. We've met him. Come see him. We ask these things in the name of Jesus who rose from the dead. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.